You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 595. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of November, 2023. episode. A flight approaches the wrong runway at JFK. It got way too tight. If we hadn't bailed out, we would have collided. And the thrust from a 737 rips up a runway's asphalt. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 595 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a (laughs) almost retired pilot. I forgot to correct the script. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Based here in uh, Roswell, Georgia. And... Joining us from her lakeside studio in South, Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's our lovely Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is good to be back. Finally have time to rejoin you all on the show, and I will take a moment to apologize for being under the weather. Very inconvenient timing for doing a show, but we'll soldier through and make it as far as we can. And I think Captain Nick is really just hoping for a Ron Burgundy moment at some point on the, the script. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did that last week and I forgot to correct it. So that's my my fault. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Ron Burgundy, well, not Ron Burgundy. It's, uh, well, from his studio. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Atlantic, no, Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> for the, the Atlantic Virgin Airways. The Atlantic yes, Virgin. The one. Yeah, very good indeed. Yeah, lovely to be back on the show, Jeff, and uh, I'm going to do half the show, and then I'm going to disappear in a puff of smoke. Okay, which half? <laughs> uh, um, the good half. Bottom half. <laughs> From her studio in Toronto, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and it's our producer, the lovely Liz Piper. Hello, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the States tomorrow. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, Thanksgiving Eve when we're recording this fine show. It might be a little bit on the shorter side. Yes, Traitor's Day. That's that's a different holiday. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Oh, is it? Okay. This one doesn't. Damn. I think you know this stuff. Every day for them is Trader's Day, right? Just Indeed, I'm sure. <laughs> Have a good show, you guys. Thanks, Cheers, Liz. Liz. See ya. 
Stand by for news. Our first item in the news is uh, from liveatc.net, and it's a VAS Aviation. There you go. See? Told you. Real Aviation Communications. And this is uh, John F. Kennedy uh, International. American 28, 10, 310. 310, American uh, 10, or 28. Good speed, 235 traffic, 1 o'clock and 4 northwestbound, turning southwestbound, uh, 2,500 for 2,000. It's a 757 London parallel. We got that 757. Speed, 235, maintain visual separation from the traffic. American 28, heading 310. Return left to a heading at 310, American 28. Delta 2759, 189, 60 ME, towers 191. Uh, 182, uh, is Alpo, and uh, over to tower Delta 2759. W315, heading 150. Heading 150, W315. Speed 235, turn right 260. 260, go see 235. W110, descend to maintain 3000, heading 320. 3000, 320, heading to blue 110. American 28, traffic out there at 1 o'clock and 3, turning westbound at 2500 VFR Pilatus, land in the parallel. And we got the two uh, Pilatus inside, American 28. Thank you. Good speed, speed 35, back to the right, heading 310. Uh, 310, good speed, uh, 235. American 28, heading two, uh, 260, you're 7 from Zalpa, maintain 2000 full stops on the localizer, cleared ILS runway 22 left approach. 260, we're uh, established on the localizer, clear for the visual approach, 26 left, American 28. American 28, that's uh, ILS 22 left. ILS 22 left, American. Click uh, the approach for 25. Guy's been flying all night, I think. Good speed 235, turn left, heading 260, NSF 22 right, localizer. Left 
American 28, runway 22 left, clear to land, 27011. 22 left, clear to land, American 28. And ground, we'll actually need to try to get a phone number for someone in the tower on that approach we had. Okay, so not the tower, you want the TRACON, the uh, approach control phone number, correct? Uh, whoever gave the plot us clearance to land, we need to talk to whoever that was. So whoever vectored the plot us or whoever actually said clear to land? Whoever two different buildings, that's why I'm asking. I'm sorry, I cut you off. It's two different buildings, that's why I'm asking. No, that's fine. A TRACON, uh, whoever vectored them on. Okay, no problem. I'll get a phone number for you. Thanks. All right, American 28, I have a number for you. You ready to copy? Yes, ma'am. Eight six seven. Yeah, we we were watching on the scope. Uh, it got a little tight. It got way too tight. If we hadn't bailed out, we would have collided. All right. Good speed. Two three five was resequenced for another approach, and everyone lived happily yeah. ever after. So. Did that bring that back fond memories, Nick? <laughs> well, certainly the machine gun. Um, RT did, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's just a continuous, isn't it? Busy you've really got to be on on your game to uh, catch your call sign and get those instructions right because he's not going to repeat them. Um, interesting that one, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, the first time I watched it, I thought, oh, that's an absolute nightmare. Um, and the second time I watched it, I thought, even if he'd gone across to uh to to right he would still have gone over the top of the american with mm -hmm. a 500 foot clearance mm -hmm. right Just all that happened it. was he he picked up the wrong localizer and while i'm mentioning it he was cleared for um uh to 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 right localizer and he read back cleared for the localizer now yeah. that's not good enough you you when there's Three runways in use often, uh, simultaneously. You've got to make sure, you know, you read back correctly because that would have been a chance for the controller to have picked up his mistake. So having crossed over the top of American, he then established on the same approach on top of him. Now, I can understand why he might be a bit concerned because if this guy starts descending on the ILS, he's going to come down through the top of his aeroplane. But he didn't. He stayed at two and a half, and the controller moved him out of the way, at still at two and a half thousand feet, mm -hmm. with the American still at 2,000 feet. So I, don't, I never saw that um, separation disappear. No. So I, I'm not sure if the um, the American obviously was very concerned. Oh, at night, you know, all you've got above you is flashing lights. It's very hard to tell unless you're staring at your TCAS as well, um, exactly how far away they are. Um, but since they didn't get a TCAS warning, uh, I'm desperately trying to remember the altitude at which those TCAS warnings stop, but I'm pretty sure at 2,000 feet they're it still It'll still give you a TCAS at that altitude, yeah. that's for sure. They didn't get a TCAS warning, so the, he, he, was, uh, he was probably just a bit overexcited when he said that, you know, they nearly collided. I, I don't think they did nearly collide. You know, I'm, I'm um, sure that looking up and seeing a you know, Pilatus PC-12 just 500 feet above you, kind of going in the same direction kind of is concerning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize it was at night. So thank you for uh, making that point. Uh, I'm because, assuming it's at night. So. Oh, 
Uh, I don't oh, know. I don't, no. I don't actually know. I, I, I'd have to go back and, and see if it were at night or not. But it doesn't matter. It's still, even if it's daylight, seeing a little airplane up there and, and wondering why they're not offset um, or in yeah. the, or looking like they're kind of moving uh, in, in a general offset direction. If they're yeah. just kind of paralleling exactly the path that you're on, uh, that would be of concern. And, uh, and and if I were the kind of person that uh, take notes and write down <laughs> things that I want to say would be the first thing I was going to say is exactly what you said there. When you with with radio transmissions and, and air traffic controllers are guilty of this and pilots are guilty of this. I and I know that you uh, did as well, Captain Nick, always repeated like, you know, clear to intercept the localizer or whatever. If they didn't say runway eight left localizer or two, two left localizer. I always in my readback said the actual runway in, in the yeah. readback, because that's an opportunity for somebody to go, wait, no, did you say two, two left? I meant two, two right. You know that. So there's a, I think it's just a safer way to go. And uh, you're right. He did not read back uh, what runway to which runway they were assigned the, uh, the Pilatus. Now, of course, American, they've been up, they've been flying all night and they're using all the numbers that we have. Uh, uh, and uh, because he kept talking, runway two eight. I mean, no, I'm American two eight. American two two left. Uh, No, uh, you know, it was all over the place with his radio. Uh, But you know, I'm thinking, give the guy a break. He's been up all night. So indeed. uh, Anyway, so so I'll have to go back and watch it again because that was actually the first time I saw that. Um, But was I wrong in thinking that at the beginning the the vectors that the Pilatus was given actually took them across mm-hmm. the final no, you're, approach you're, path? Of, you're exactly right. Why did they he, ever take them across that path no, to begin with? Didn't they start from the north? I'm I mean, wondering if you're going to join the parallel, they should have been turned in and it, that's not how you I'm wondering if there were some <laughs> other reason to try to get them a little bit more separation for whoever yeah. they were going to follow on the right. I, that's the only Maybe. thing that Maybe. I can think of. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, they started off on the other side of the... Uh, of the final approach course, mm-hmm. and we're and kind of went through it, and then we're given a vector two sixty heading to intercept the two two right localizer. And because I was watching, it, I kept thinking, I'm like, why why is he taking over there? Like, like it yeah. didn't make a lot of sense to me. So, but yeah, maybe there was something else going on on uh, with spacing that just they don't have on that uh, visual for us. From what I recall, uh, it's been a while. It's been years since I've been uh, have operated out of uh, JFK. But when they're using two two left and two two right, it's to me it's always a mess um, because those are the closest parallel runways that they have there, and it, it never seemed to bother me going the opposite direction, you know, direction four left, four right, even though they're the same exact runways in the in the opposite direction. Uh, but you know, out over the water, I don't know, it just seemed I don't know, it doesn't seem as crazy. I think the, one of the courses coming in uh, that may, they may have corrected that by now. But I remember that one of them was offset um, when I was flying in there years ago. Um, I think it was two two left. Certainly, was, the VOR was offset. Maybe that's like by, by a reasonable amount. Uh, so you know, and in this uh, case, and, and there were, are pe- people that have <laughs> come down to minimums and visually transferred to the wrong runway. <laughs> Because yeah, because you're not pointing at the, at the wrong <laughs> runway. Hey, look, there's a runway. <laughs> looks really, really good. <laughs> exactly. And it's a little bit longer you're than the other she, one. So let's use that I'll one. I forget how much. It's <laughs> only about a 10 degree, if that uh, yeah. difference. But you know, you're literally looking out in front and, uh, and there's a runway. That'll do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Led down yeah. the primrose path, right? 
Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, Steph, I, I don't know exactly where the, the divisions are between the airspace, between uh, LaGuardia. Well, that was going to be my uh, question. Uh, if you're coming yeah. in that way, is it Because I, I know they have a, a real problem with uh, in that top left corner of their I'll airspace. Have um, they have but... a real problem there. So that might be a reason why he took him inside the pattern yeah. and sort of S-turned him over the top of uh, mm -hmm. the American. And you're right, Jeff, coming in the other end of that runway, you're out over the sea, there's no real airspace problems so mm -hmm. uh yeah they they can be it's much easier for them i think to uh, generate separation and just to run an easy I mean, path in. but mm, that's a good point I mean, i'm assuming Maybe. it's legal to fl to have any 500 foot of separation um on that approach so um you know w doing what they were doing so i i guess that's okay but yeah um, well you know um Good point made uh, regarding the uh, very close by um, LaGuardia Airport. And if if um, JFK is on two two left, two two right, it's possible that they're landing two two at LaGuardia and they're using perhaps one three for departure. So I don't you know I don't know what the winds were and what the arrangement was for LaGuardia at the time, but if they're using one three for departure, it's one of those sure. Yahoo maneuvers where you immediately take off and then you you kind of head over to the right a little bit towards Shea Stadium or whatever they're calling it now. Um, and then you kind of make a, another pretty sharp well, turn to the left to stay out of the Kennedy uh, airspace. Because for people who aren't familiar, basically, if you're taking off 1-3, but then you have landing traffic 2-2 two, two at JFK, if you extend those center lines out, they intersect yes. not too far out beyond right. that point. Yeah. Correct. So I bet that's what the setup was at the time. So that right. might be why they were that uh, good speed was being vectored in a weird way. Is it good speed or God speed? Well, it's it depends just, on um, when you're reading the um, <laughs> the uh, the the, uh, uh, the words on the uh, video. I think at first it said Godspeed, or maybe it was the other video that I was looking at, and then it, it changed to Good Speed. And I'm thinking, I don't think I've ever heard that call sign before. I thought maybe are they saying Jet Speed? Because I know there's a an airline out there that uses Jet Speed for their call sign, but I, I guess maybe it is Good Speed. Well, Godspeed, Good Speed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and make sure you tune the the right localizer. Now, you know we're you know you we're know, making I, I, a, we're making an assumption that that's what happened, but I'm not so sure that it's that's the case because maybe they were just taking their time getting over to two two right. I'm gonna guess that well, the plot be. the plotus was probably fairly aware of a much larger airliner 500 feet below them. I know it's a I would hope so. I would. I would imagine, even at night. I don't. I don't know if the they saw was them boring, earlier because they said they did. Yeah, they said insight. Yeah, they said insight. Yeah. Good. Um, good speed is trade wind aviation. Yeah, trade wind aviation oh, is right. uh, okay. the uh, good speed call sign. Good speed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite confusing in a Pilatus. Can you maintain good speed? <laughs> no, I'm in a Pilatus. Well, the speed that we're giving you—that's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So an interesting one, but uh, I'm not too sure the controller well, uh, was at any, had any fault there. So phoning up track on <laughs> might not have got him anywhere. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe they just wanted to talk about it. Say, hey, what happened out there? Well, I I have done that in the past and asked what's going on. And, you know, usually as long as you keep the conversation um, professional, uh, you usually get educated because the last thing you want to do is to pile in full of accusations and then discover that he did did everything right and, and you're just overreacting. Exactly. Okay. Shall we move on? Certainly. Okay, everybody. Okay, everybody. Everybody ready for a wild, wet ride? Slip and slide. Okay. Navy P-8A Poseidon overshoots Hawaiian runway and splashes in Kaneohe Bay. Uh, Let's see. They were um, doing some approaches over at uh, Kaneohe Bay. Am I saying that right? Kaneohe? Oh, hey. No idea. Oh, he. Uh, it's something like that. Uh, after attempting to land on Mar- Marine Corps runway, um, the Marine Corps runway at Kaneohe, uh, runway 22, uh, Monday afternoon, according to Marine Corps officials. That was a wonderful sentence I just gave you there. <laughs> I butchered <laughs> the heck out of it. Uh, the P-8A reconnaissance and surveillance aircraft was on approach to land on the runway uh, at Marine Corps Air Station Kaneohe Bay on the island of Oahu. Uh, the aircraft was landing and overshot the runway, said First Lieutenant Haley Harms, a Marine Corps base Hawaii spokesperson. The aircraft assigned to Woodby Island, Washington, uh, called the Skinny Dragons, <laughs> a patrol squadron VP-4, landed at 159 local Hawaii time, ended up in shallow water just off the coast. The air station's main runway runs in a northeast to southwest direction. At approximately 2 p.m. local time, a U.S. Navy P-8 Poseidon overshot the runway uh, on landing and ended up, okay, we're we're getting a whole bunch of quotes now from people saying the same exact thing. Uh, All personnel safely evacuated the aircraft. The crew assigned to Whidbey Island, okay, we already talked about that. Uh, Nine people were aboard the aircraft at the time, but no immediate injuries were reported. Did I mention that there were nine air, nine people aboard the aircraft at the time, but no immediate injury? Well, I'm sure that it's going to be written here somewhere soon as I scroll through this article. Uh, they are still being medically assessed, Harms said. and um, So they don't know there's a no injuries. They're still being assessed. They're still being assessed, yes. And um, I, I will say that the P-8A Poseidon is, a, you know, the submarine hunter uh, kind of mission. Well, that's what he was doing, uh, looking there were, there were for all submarines. Kinds wow, of good, that's, good yeah. memes. That's, that's his one. normal environment. Exactly. Then, yeah, it? it's just kind of, he was cutting it a little bit closer than normal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, what I was going to say is to find submarine must become submarine. <laughs> yeah, <he> is, <laughs> you must become das the boot. submarine <laughs> at one with the submarines. <laughs> that's a possible Very show good. title right there. Yeah. At one with the submarine. <laughs> Uh, but I'm thinking that thing has millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of very, very sophisticated equipment in it. And I'll bet that it's all trashed now that it's been soaking in that that seawater. UH Blackhawk has an interesting comment here, Jeff. All right. UH Blackhawk in our live audience says, I'm surprised the Navy didn't put EMAS on that runway. Yeah. The Engineered Materials Arresting System, I believe, is what EMAS stands for. Yeah, I'm surprised as well. They uh, they would have had to have shortened the runway to fit it on, wouldn't they? Yeah, because it looks like the runway ends just about in the on the beach. 
Yeah, 7,700 feet, I think, approximately yep. the runway length. is 200 feet wide. So if they landed the other direction, they may have, have been okay. Yeah, no, there's water 200 at feet ends, still so. pretty short. Um, yeah, it's water on the both uh, ends of the uh, the runway for sure there. And and another thing, trade winds, uh, uh, that's the windward side of the island. Trade winds usually are coming in from the northeasterly direction. Uh, so it's possible that uh, they were, they had, a, I don't know, I, we don't have any METARs available to us to let you know what the winds were at the time, but Contact. I think it's very common for the winds to be coming in from the uh, from the northeast, so it would have been a tailwind. Current current mm. winds are uh, 070 at 8 knots. Currently? Currently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. IHAL Boxes says more P8s in the water than submarines in the air. <laughs> wow. That's pretty <laughs> That's rude. An observation. <laughs> I didn't say good. that. It was IHAL yeah. Boxes, one of our rude audience members. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, it's got and, and I'm just going to say I know the kit on board was very expensive, Jeff, but the airframe they chose to put it on was exceedingly cheap. <laughs> so uh, oh, it sort of evens itself out in the long run, doesn't it? All right, Mike here we go. Comment. We're already starting. <laughs> <laughs> Micah has a comment in our live audience. Uh, remember, the P-8 is really only a 737, not a difficult airplane to fly. Well, well I can't fly have you ever tried to fly it? <laughs> I've, never, I've never tried to fly one. I oh, I know where he's coming from. Uh, Captain uh, Jeff Felmuth. Uh, was oh, uh, used right. to fly the thing, and I mean, if he can that, fly that it, puts anybody it in perspective. can fly it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Just kidding, but he's Jeff. very handsome. Love yeah. you. I love you, man. Um, by <laughs> the way, uh, we did make the transfer uh, of control uh, or of um, custody yes. mm-hmm. of yeah. the yeah. Uh, of the captain's hat. Uh, still, back where it so. belongs. Yes. Still looking for that QRH, though. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, he was confused about what airport he would need to um, fly to to retrieve it. Oh, well, he's getting to be a little bit older. I know. You know, people get confused as they age. (laughs) Just take (laughs) the last show, for instance. Uh, Not you, Liz. I mean, there are exceptions. You and and Captain Nick are clearly exceptions (laughs) to that. (laughs) Backpedaling. Yeah, doing his best. (laughs) Anyway, um, is it time for the next one? Okay. Let me uh, bring it up and... Make sure that I haven't skipped one. And one B. Here we go. One B. Uh, a Copa airline. This is from uh, the Aviation Herald. It's a final report. It's a final report. Copa Airlines Boeing 737 800 registration hotel Papa 1539 Charlie Mike Papa performing flight 135 from Mexico City to Panama City, Panama with 159 passengers, seven crew landed on Panama City's runway three right. In the flare, they drifted towards the right-hand edge of the runway, touched down inside the touchdown zone and and on the runway, then veered to the left and went past the left edge of the runway, crossing the runway edge at about 110 knots over the ground. The aircraft continued parallel to the runway when they were off the runway, crossed a high-speed turnoff beginning to correct towards the runway but came to a stop about 7,200 feet down the runway, about 70 feet to the left of the left runway edge. The aircraft was evacuated via slides. There were no injuries. Uh, let's see. Uh, just as a note, the weather in the area, uh, not great. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, I'm trying to scroll down to the um, to the METARs. Uh, looks like they had thunderstorms in the area. 
uh, 700 scattered, 1,600 uh, CBs, uh, so cumulonimbus clouds, 8,000 broken, and the winds were uh, 110 at 11. Not a lot of wind. Um, anywho, uh, let's see, the, as um, Liz mentioned, our producer, that, um, oh, I was going to say, the reason that I mentioned the weather is that tropical storm Ian uh, which hit the United States, I believe, right, uh, Steph? The only one that really um, was a yeah, major yeah. problem at all. It went, that's the one that went into Florida, down in Yeah, it near, went into Florida. Near, and, uh, um, Fort uh, Myers. Oh, like Na- yeah, Naples, Myers. Yeah. Naples. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, it, it was 380 nautical miles north of the airport. Uh, but as we know, hurricanes can uh, influence a lot of area. And uh, so that that was maybe one of the extreme southern outer bands or something that was uh, hitting the Panama City, Panama area uh, at the time, apparently. Um, on October 28th, 2022, the uh, Office of Investigation in Panama, um, and it said, according to crew testimony, thrust reverser number two had been inoperative under minimum equipment list requirements. If the runway was wet and in case of an asymmetry, the thrust reverser number one would not be used. And uh, so they performed their approach to standard operating procedures. Upon touchdown, they felt a different sensation, however, with vibrations like a tire had burst. The aircraft developed a strong yaw to the left. The crew applied right-hand rudder without success, activated the thrust reverser on the number one engine, Again, uh, to uh, they weren't really, I don't think they were planning on using it, but at this point I thought, well, we're going to need it to slow down. So they uh, applied thrust reverse on the number one. I think, remember, the number two was inoperative. Um, and uh, that would have exacerbated the problem in my mind. Um, near taxiway, uh, Quebec, the aircraft went off the runway. And uh, after coming to a stop, the crew analyzed the situation, perceived a strong burning odor. Uh, the nose gear had collapsed. They decided to shut, decided to shut the engines down, start the APU, and perform an evacuation. Okay, so the uh, investigatory agency did confirm that the aircraft had been dispatched under uh, MEL with the number two thrust reverser inoperative on November seventeen, uh, just a few days ago. Um, the final report in Spanish only. <laughs> uh, concluded that the probable cause of the accident were the meteorological conditions at the time of the landing were, were significant cloud cover, winds 110 at 11, visibility 6,000 with rain, clouds, thunder showers with rain, scattered cloud at 700, uh, as I mentioned earlier. The landing was recorded uh, with power levers above idle on both engines. Reverse thrust on engine one was immediately activated. Hmm. That kind of does not jive with the crew testimony. Uh, so he, he imme- immediately used engine number one thrust reverse. Left engine accelerated to 84% N1. And uh, right-hand engine remained at 41%. Okay, so they didn't activate the throttle, uh, the thrust lever on, on the right side. That's good. The surface of the run... Oh, also they mentioned speed brakes as well as brakes did not activate automatically. So that's... yeah. Not good. No. Um, the surface of the runway strip does not have the load-bearing capability for aircraft that suffer a runway excursion for some reason. <laughs> That's in the report. Um, hmm. Okay. 
Um, so, uh, Didn't contributing quite understand fa- that myself. Yeah, contributing factors, uh, and I, there there are several listed uh, having to do with the weather and uh, when you know the weather, the the rain and the wind direction, situational awareness, um, the wrong perception by the crew believing they had veered off due to a flat tire. Uh, but I've highlighted some of the contributing factors here that I think are pretty significant. Lack of training for landings with thrust reverser inoperative in marginal conditions. Uh, the first officers call out speed break up and incorrect verification of the lever moving. So it was one of those things, you know, what, what do we say? Playing or paying lip service, you know, saying something, but not really ensuring that what you're saying is actually happening. Um, on the airplane that I fly, uh, when the um, flu. auto or I flew, when the auto spoilers <laughs> um, are deployed on touchdown, um, the call by the, the pilot not flying is um, spoilers up. So um, that's just a, and then you verify. You don't just say it. You actually make sure that they're, the spoilers are up so kind that you're going to dump the lift on the wing so that the uh, brake braking has m- better effect. Um, lack of manual deployment of the speed brake and the brakes. Okay, so that's, yeah, if you notice that the speed brake handle didn't move, then you're supposed to grab it and move it yourself manually so that you do get the same effect. Uh, The crew did not reduce maximum reverse power on the left engine when the aircraft began to veer to the left. Okay, that's another thing that that you're supposed to do. If you use that one thrust reverser, you know, asymmetrically, uh, and you find that it's not helping the situation and you're ending up having to you know, you're moving to one side or the other, then you have to reduce the thrust on that asymmetric thrust reverse so that you can, you know, keep going straight. And they didn't do that. So what do you think, guys? <laughs> you, you covered it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, they did. We, we, final we, have, <laughs> we have talked about this. Yeah. And this is, this is the final Thing. So it, it does contradict what the crew thought happened um, to a certain extent. Uh, so, yeah, but in the uh, the heat of the moment, they probably uh, are hoping they did the right actions when, of course, they, they didn't. Um, this The call of speed breaks up would be a call that the first, the first officer would have made every time he was... Uh, the pilot monitoring and you know it you're so used to a certain cadence when things happen and in the landing condition you know he invariably would have said speed brakes up just as an automatic we had a whole series of um, problems with one of our calls which was when the pilot flying called for a flat movement the pilot monitoring was supposed to say speed checked to confirm that they had achieved the correct speed for raising that flap and they weren't going to put themselves in a dangerous situation before moving the lever. But it became such a common call and moving the lever that people weren't actually, they were just saying it, they weren't looking at the speed and reading it to see whether it had gone past the minimum speed required. Uh, So we had quite a few instances of people calling for the flap too early 
and it being moved too early, even though the bloke that's supposed to be double-checking said speed checked, he wasn't checking the speed. And this sort of thing is one of those behavioural problems you get when you are so used to saying something over and over and over again. The one time it happens that you haven't achieved those conditions, you still say it and you still do it because you've got ingrained in that habit. I think everybody's done Anyone who's done repetitive things over time you know, it, it's very easy for your mind to go, you did it because you said it. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly right. Because you did yeah. it the time before and you'll probably do it the next time. But in, yeah. it, it can be very easy to miss. Very easy. So they, the Funyuns really did line up for them, didn't they? Because it was a pretty wet day. Yeah. Uh, and um, they, even though they landed on the correct side of the runway, really for a bit of a crosswind and for the fact they've only got one reverser, uh, they left an engine. I don't think it was quite an idle, that right engine, because uh, uh, they say it remained at 41. Okay, that must uh, be uh, idle. Yeah, because, Well, like you know, but they did mention, though, and now it makes sense why they did mention it, that the, the throttles weren't at idle when they touched down. So yeah. maybe you're right. Uh, Nick, that yeah, they I think they, there was probably should've... a bit of extra thrust coming from yeah, the right engine, which good. is going to turn them and the reverse thrust on the left engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to get quite yeah. a swing. Yeah, and uh, they they really didn't act think. Oh, what's causing this swing? Oh, it must be a time. Now it's because you've got the damned engine <laughs> full thrust. Away. Bring mm-hmm. it back to idle full. Um, so yeah, I it was all sort of going a bit pear-shaped at that point, wasn't it? And um, then eventually they ran off the right. You know, they almost got it back on again, in which case they could have just pretended it hadn't happened. (laughs) uh, Except it was, you know, all the tire tracks through the wet grass. That that was the fire engine. Yeah, Or the lawnmowers or something. (laughs) The engine's pretty buried in the earth there. (laughs) Yeah, I think if he'd put a bit more thrust on, he could have uh, got through (laughs) all that. that Yeah. Uh, hey, just get the airplane hose down. You've been be there, right. done that. You know, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, but I so I, I can laugh about it because no one got badly hurt. So that's great. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting in the, in the um, interview with the uh, crew earlier um, last year. Uh, they it, it basically intimated that it was only when the captain realized that the airplane was sliding to the left that he activated the uh number one reverse but of course in the in the findings of the investigation the final report uh they said that the number one thrust reverser was immediately activated the truth came out yeah so yeah interesting mm-hmm. uh maybe my mic is asking if you can do asymmetric braking if you're using asymmetric thrust reverse yes of course you can uh that's no problem but uh um if got a very wet runway those brakes may not be particularly efficient but yes that's what you normally you use the aerodynamic force of the rudder and then as that becomes less effective as your speed comes down you can use uh, asymmetric braking to keep the aircraft straight and newsful steering of course and i was going to say there are a lot of airports in that area of the world where they don't have um, grooved runways or porous friction overlays but in a couple of the pictures that we were looking at there it does look like the uh, runway was grooved so that that would have been helpful um yeah Indeed. Okay. Anything else? Shall we move on? Mm -hmm. Mm. Let's go down under, way down under. Way down under. Okay. I I think I have to load some videos. Okay. Um, 
Well, why don't um, one of you, uh, Steph, we haven't heard your lovely voice in a while. Mm. Why don't you start reading, if you can, uh, this article about... <laughs> That's uh, the, the question. We'll see how long. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll see if I can pull up the, uh, right. the, the uh, video um, while you're doing it. I have no idea where this article is from. Uh, from North Airways. C. It's from North? The North Airways, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually the article is from North Airways. Oh, release. where it's from. Believe, yeah. It must I be a, like okay. a press, yeah, yeah, press sure. release or something. Right. North Atlantic Airways, known as the Explorer's Airline, proudly yeah. marks a, this is definitely Everybody knows that. Proudly marks a <laughs> groundbreaking milestone in aviation history with the first landing of its Boeing 787 Dreamliner registration, Lima November Foxtrot November Charlie, named Everglades, um, at Troll Airfield in Antarctica. The momentous achievement took place at uh, 2.01 local time, so like 2 o'clock in the morning, on Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. But Led surprisingly, by... it was a lot, it was not dark. No. <laughs> because they're uh, the... way they're down in the summertime, <laughs> spring. Yeah. I'm sorry, keep going. This, um, I'm going to be playing this in the background there. That's the fine. Video of them landing. Led by North um, Atlantic Airways and contracted by Norwegian Polar Institute and Air Contact, Scandinavia's largest and leading air broker firm, this historic mission transported essential research equipment and scientists to the remote troll research station in Queen Maudland, Antarctica. Aboard flight November 0787 were 45 passengers, including scientists from the Norwegian Polar Institute and other countries, destined for different stations in Antarctica. The flight also transported 12 tons of essential research equipment crucial for Antarctic exploration. Starting from Oslo on November 13th, the Dreamliner made a stop in Cape Town, South Africa, before embarking on the challenging Antarctic leg. Departing Cape Town at 11.03 p.m. on Wednesday, the aircraft spent over 40 hours in South Africa before um, its historic landing at Troll Airfield. 40 hours on the ground, I'm sure. <laughs> um... Bjorn uh, Tor Larsen, CEO of North Atlantic Airways, expressed immense pride and honor in achieving this historic milestone. It is a great honor uh, and excitement on behalf of the entire team, Norse, that we have achieved together a momentous landing of, moment landing, moment of landing, I can't read, uh, the first 787 Dreamliner. In the spirit of exploration, we are proud to have a hand in this important and unique mission. It is a true testament to our highly trained and skilled pilots and crew and our state-of-the-art Boeing aircraft. Antarctica lacks conventional paved runways, and here you can see that if you're watching the video. Hence, North Atlantic Airways landed on a blue ice runway, 3,000 meters long and 60 meters wide at Troll Airfield. The Norwegian Polar Institute operates the research station located in Jutelsessen in Queen Maudland, approximately 235 kilometers from the coast. Nailed it. I'm <laughs> sure I did not. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it goes on. So some more of the uh, details and, and yeah. stuff about the cargo capacity and uh, the Dreamliner itself. I think there yeah, was an wait. Airbus landed last year, right? So this is a Boeing now? Uh, Liz is saying something about uh, last yeah, year it, it was a it was an Airbus and now a Boeing. I don't know. It was, in fact, I I, I caught a couple of news articles which uh, had this big banner headline saying it was the uh, the biggest aircraft to have landed uh, in, uh, in Antarctica, but not true, I'm afraid, because yeah. the 
A34600 that went in there last year, although I think they landed at Wolf's Fang, not um, Troll. And uh, Troll actually is only, I think, 10,000 feet long. Wolf's Fang is only 8,200 feet long. Mm. They're not long runways, considering they're made of ice. <laughs> but I guess... You know, I'm... They'd be, they have a lot of grip, though, I think. Uh, you wouldn't think they would because they're ice, but I, I guess if yeah. the ice is dry, that they're, they're that's pretty good friction coefficient, I believe. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but yes, the A340 went in the previous year, but it's the first time, certainly, uh, I've uh, been, uh, sorry, Dreamliner has uh, been in there. Uh, Maine Marin has a comment slash question there. All right. Maine Marin in our live audience says density altitude must have been way in the negative. Yeah, I bet it was. It's oh, absolutely, yeah. I reckon yeah. for takeoff, they must have had more thrust than they knew what to do with. <laughs> so much performance. <laughs> and they're, they're reasonably light as well. They're, they're having to hold the wings to down to keep it from flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what happens, yeah. Like a balloon. Indeed. Talking no, about good. Well ice done. runways, the next one's about runways too. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the next one. And uh, since we're talking about ice... Um, well, Since we're talking about runways. Oh, runways, not ice. <laughs> sorry, I blew the uh, uh, the segue. Uh, sorry. Um, oh, yeah, and there's of course another video that I have yet to load because I have so many videos on uh, this episode. Just too many, actually. Uh, okay, so I'll load it up and I'll hit play here momentarily. Um, this, uh, Captain Nick, would you like to take this one? Oh, most certainly. Uh, news uh, accident, Gold Boeing 737-800 at uh, Nevgantis. Navgantis, you got uh, it. 14th of November. Uh, so, uh, Gold Transportes Aereos Boeing 737, registration uh, Papa Romeo Golf X-ray Tango, performing flight G3-1843 um, to Rio de Janeiro, uh, had backtracked runway 25, turned around for departure, but when applying takeoff thrust, a large portion of the asphalt was blown up and hit the tailplane. And if you're looking at the video now, you'll see it happening any second now. The crew rejected takeoff at about 60 knots, so very low speed, um, and returned to the apron. No injuries, but the aircraft sustained substantial damage to its tailplane. And you can now see that, that absolutely there have been shards of, uh, of tarmac that probably three or four inches deep have been ripped up off the uh, concrete surface. So I suspect that's been breaking up for a while. And uh, finally, the uh, 737 produced enough thrust to rip it away from the runway. Uh, flight was cancelled. The airport was closed yeah. for about five hours. Closed. And they've yeah, got a nice no-tam saying uh, <laughs> runway closed. Yeah, used to asphalt a disaggregation. That's a new word I like for me. That word. Yeah, Disaggregation. <laughs> so, like, uh, what, what's the uh, the term they used with the uh, the second uh, a test rapid of unexpected the, uh, disassembly? Rapid unexpected disassembly of the uh, second star. Uh, what is it called? Um, yeah, the uh, star not Starlink. Uh, star star No, it's not called Starlifter. What is it called? Oh, sorry. Um, something SpaceX? like that. SpaceX. It's a SpaceX. No. 
but it's I forgot what they call the rocket. Darn it. Um, the one that's going to eventually go to Mars, they think. Um, anyway, that one um, ended up getting blowed up. Get blowed up um, good. Get up. Yeah, got get up. Blowed up good. Um, but uh, I was I was reading in here that or somewhere that said that the uh, 737 that tore up all the asphalt was uh, backtracking. So they went they went down the opposite direction and did a very tight, you know, 180 degree turn or whatever to get to get realigned with the uh, uh, runway direction. I'm wondering if that Loosened contributed to the like there yeah. may be a crack and maybe the one of the wheels got in the crack and kind of pried pried it open or Texas something. Texas Shock said Starship. Starship, that's it. Thank you, Texas Animal Shock. Starship. Star um, something, yes. Yeah, star, sky, yeah. Yeah, Space, something. Something. ship thing, yeah. rocket. <laughs> I named this starship Titanic. Um, well, if you look at the picture there, like it's obviously where it was repaved at some point. I mean, because underneath you, it looks like old paint markings. Yeah, there, it doesn't, doesn't look it? like maybe so they did a very good like job. It was maybe a, <laughs> I yeah, don't know, that's right. A suspect. Um, well, in, in the UK, uh, we we get yeah. these teams of guys who uh, roam around the yes, countryside, yes. claiming that door. they've got spare yeah, tarmac exactly. left over from <laughs> some big job, and would they like you I to like have it, it on your drive? We'll give it to your cheap government. Cowboy that's contractors. A, cowboy so contractors. Yeah, right those, those people <laughs> came down here and did that. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Well. It, yeah. Some um, cowboys went in there and <laughs> and did it. That's what Yeehaw. I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. But no, we uh, we used to do this in a lot of airfields in uh, the Caribbean, where we would have to go down to the end to get full length, and then we'd go into a do a one eighty. And on our uh, aircraft, uh, it's not it's not a tight turning aircraft; it's a really long aircraft. So you needed a full forty five meters, and uh, there was a great temptation to. Um, so spin the airplane around and use lots of thrust, but the uh, the airports definitely did not like that because uh, if you uh, got a stationary wheel, it used to uh, scrub and rub at the uh, runway and Whoa. damage it. Ooh. Look at that. Oh yeah, Load that up good. big pile, <laughs> big pile of tarmac flapping over the back end of the airplane. That it's just so fun to watch that. Let's watch it. Again. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Well, it it's is when it's not you it's doing like, it. Because you can see the air get underneath it and then just lift it all up almost in like one big uh, yep. Okay, let's sheet. let's cob the power to it right now. Here we go. All right. Well, Whoa. boom. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. And it had to do, uh, do some damage to the uh, the tail of yeah, that Yeah, they said uh, it would. Yeah. 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 There you go. All right, uh, so this one here from uh, g1.globo.com. Um, okay. Brazilian. Uh, a Brazilian uh, news source. Uh, plane crash kills 12 people in Rio Branco. Um, Acre, I guess, is what they would say that. I'd say Acre, but that can't be right. Um, 10 passengers, excuse me, nine adults and one baby and two crew members died in the crash. According to uh, ANAC, or ANAC, the plane was in good condition. The aircraft took off from Rio Branco, was heading to Envira in Amazonas, but crashed at around 7.21 a.m. local time. Uh, there were six men, three women, one child aged one year and seven months on the aircraft, in addition to the pilot and co-pilot, according to the passenger list. Um, they believe all 12 people on board died. 
And the aircraft was in good condition. Okay, we've already gone over all the that. The aircraft was in good condition. I don't know how uh, good condition the engine was I apparently guess, in. Well, um, um, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So yeah. this is an airplane that you're familiar with, Steph. So what, why don't you it take is, over? It is, but... Uh, it looks like a PT-6 caravan, which is actually not the same engine uh, configuration that I fly. But, no, I'm just looking at um, the some of the uh, diagrams that they have here of where the airplane um, took off from and where it ended up. It looks like it, it's all in um, Portuguese, unfortunately, but it looks like it was pretty close to the end of the runway there. So it doesn't sound like um, they made it very far at all. So, um there's no, I scanned through this article, but there's no real information about no. um, even like eyewitness accounts or anything other than crash no. shortly after takeoff, heavily wooded area. So clearly not a lot of outs of where you can. I mean, the caravan's a pretty capable aircraft if you've got a um, you know a field or something that's fairly suitable for landing. Um, forest landings are definitely possible in smaller spaces, but this all looks wooded and you know not a lot of options. So it, it sounds to me like um, low altitude or shortly after takeoff engine failure and just not enough room to turn around and come back and no good options for, for outs, unfortunately. Yeah. And even uh, the aviationsafety.net website, which usually has a little bit more information, but basically they just said it crashed on takeoff. Yeah. yeah I mean, it just sounds like a engine failure on takeoff and not enough altitude to do anything workable mm. with. So uh, sad um, occurrence here. That, that one we talked about uh, a few shows back, um, that wasn't a, a PT-6. That was the same kind of... Uh, that was, a, yeah, that was a, a Garrett, the Superman Garrett, version. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the, in general, those turbofan, um, turboprop engines are, are pretty darn reliable, they're aren't pretty, they? Yeah, they're very reliable, especially, I mean, the PT-6 is a very reliable engine, but um, there's a lot of instances out there if you go digging through mm -hmm. um, accidents and incidents of engine failures as well. They do happen. Oh, well, that's a shame. Yeah. All right. Let's um, get to know you guys then, if you want to do that. Okay. Let us do that. Let's uh, push the button that uh, does that. That no pilot should ever push. The button, that, and I pushed it. Yeah. Oh, no. I, well, you're not a pilot anymore. I'm not a pilot anymore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I still have a license that says, or a, a, a piece of plastic that Is says it, I have an airline transport pilot certificate. <laughs> yes, it's current. I may not be current in the airplane that I'm assigned, okay. yeah. uh, but I am still a, 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 nope. As far as I know, the FAA hasn't come to get my certificate, <laughs> take it from me, <laughs> uh, or ask me to mail it in. Um, so, um, Steph, we're going to start with you because... You've been busy. Gosh darn it. I mean, you haven't been here with us uh, for a while, and we've missed you, and we know that you've been very, very busy. And I don't know where you're going to yeah. start, but... Uh, um, well, yeah. I was asked, I asked Liz to remind me when the last time I actually made it to a show was, because I couldn't remember. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but just looking back at my calendar to remind me where I've, I've been... Um, we think it was the the last week of October. Does that so. sound correct? So. All right. So if it was the last week of October, that was a show that was recorded on a Thursday. Um, and then I was not available the first week of November because I was down in, um, we talked about Panama City earlier, but not Panama City, Panama, Panama City, Florida, mm -hmm. Panama City Beach, um, participating in Ironman, Florida. Um, so I actually had signed up for that over a year ago 
And um, like with anything else, you sign up for these things and you have great intentions of training and being fully prepared and... um, like me, <laughs> fully say, prepared. Let's just say that I'm, I'm not sure, unless you're doing this on a professional level, how you can ever fully feel prepared for an Ironman distance triathlon. It's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 miles on the bike, and then a marathon run, so 26.2 miles, um, total of like 140. Yeah, any of those, any of those three would have killed me. I'm sure. <laughs> so um, my only goal going into it was to finish. You know, I felt like I had a decent amount of. Um, just overall endurance. Um, I have a background in swimming. I know we don't talk about swimming very much, but that's the sport that I did when I was uh, younger and growing up and all through um, childhood and uh, high school years. Um, so I did, um, you can see, I, if you're watching the pictures there, the video, I've got my wetsuit on. It was a wetsuit legal swim, which actually makes the swim um, quite a bit easier, um, especially in the ocean where the uh, salinity is uh, helpful for buoyancy. And then you add the wetsuit on top of it, and that adds buoyancy. Um, so really all you have to do is um, propel yourself in a forward direction and hope that you can do it quickly enough to <laughs> make the time cutoffs. So um, it was actually an, a two-loop ocean swim. So there was a pier, and you go um, outbound on one side of the pier, and then you do kind of a cross, and then come back, and then you get out onto the beach. And this is actually after the first loop, and then you have to get back in the water and do it all over again. Oh. Um, the water temperature, so one, like 1.2 miles at a time. Um, the water temperature was great. It was like 75 degrees, which still made it wetsuit legal for everyone who wasn't a professional. Because that, that would not. be like the wetsuit almost made you overheating, right? No, it no? was that was comfortable for me. Okay. Maybe for, I mean, and you didn't have to. You could go without a wetsuit if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So there's no um, requirement to wear a wetsuit until it gets much colder. And then they don't want people to get hypothermia, but 75 is fine. Um, but I, I don't do a lot of open water swimming. You know, all my swimming background is in a pool. So I was a little bit nervous about that. Um, I do live on a, a lake here where it's possible to do, you know, quote unquote open water swims, but there's no, there's no waves. There's no currents. There's no, um, you know, we have snakes and things, I guess, in the, the water here and turtles. Um, <laughs> but man, there were a lot of jellyfish. Oh, oh, right. And big jellyfish. Like, I've never seen jellyfish that large in person in my life. Well, it's a good uh, thing you had a wetsuit on then, right? Yeah. um, Actually, when I was out, um, I got there a few days early because I wanted to get in the ocean and swim a little bit. And everyone kind of does that. And I actually brushed one with my hand the first day. But not one of the really big ones. Those were probably 500, 600 meters offshore. Um, My practice swims, I only went out maybe 200 or 300 meters and then just turned around and came back. Um, so there were smaller ones there, kind of like the moon jellies. And I brushed one of those. And historically, I've always been kind of like just allergic or reactive to them. Yeah. So um, my hand got really itchy for a couple of hours after that happened. It wasn't a wasn't a jellyfish sting or anything. I just kind of brushed it and had kind of a little rash and itching. But fortunately, during the actual swim itself, I didn't have any issues with the jellyfish. So that was That's good. True. Um, so I made that, uh, my goal time was, I, I, uh, just ballparking it. Not really sure if how I was going to do with the current and winds and everything else, but it was a really pretty close to ideal condition day for the swim. So my goal was an hour and a half and I ended up being an hour and 26 minutes, I think through the swim. Good job. So that was, I was happy with that and it didn't feel, you know, it was on purpose, measured, easy, 
got a whole rest of the day ahead of me, um, and then right onto the bike. And I am not a cyclist, so. <laughs> um, you look like a cyclist. Yeah, the picture the pictures would suggest otherwise that that perhaps I have a background in cycling, but I really do not. Um, I did one longish training ride over the summer, which is very insufficient, and the rest of my time I spent riding on my um, on my trainer in my home gym because. Riding like bicycles on the road um, in an unprotected environment is terrifying to me. I have no desire to do that. No kidding. Um, so again, you know, I'm getting out there kind of out of my element. I'm not a road cyclist. I'm not much of a cyclist at all. Um, and I figured I could probably comfortably do 14 miles an hour the entire way. And that would put me like an hour under the bike cutoff. And I knew I'd be one of the slowest cyclists out there. Don't even care. Just want to get through it. Don't want to you know, wreck my legs because you still have a marathon to run after that. Mm. Um, so I went out and I was doing my, you know, I was pretty, pretty quick out of the water. Um, and then I was doing my 14 mile an hour cycling. And there were a couple of people that passed me kind of early on. They're like, yeah, you got it. I was like, I know this is what I'm planning to do. Thanks. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not on the struggle bus at all, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's slow comparatively. That pissed you um, off, didn't it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks. I know. I'm good. <laughs> I know you. You, know, oh, you probably had to resist, not like really get kicking it in the gear. And I, no, I mean, like you know, it's, it's, I, I get where they're coming from. Like, I, I understand that mentality. Like, it, it, they're just trying to be positive. So I was yeah. like, yep, I know. I'm, and they it's not, a, you know, my bike isn't uh, one of the fancy triathlon bikes. Like, it's just a, a road bike. Mm -hmm. Um so it probably looked a little out of place as well, although there were other people on road bikes out there as well. Um, but man, some of those bikes are, you know, talk a lot about spending a lot of money on sporting equipment, like $12,000 triathlon bicycles. Like Carbon it's fiber. As a car. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, pretty high-tech stuff, but I did manage to get a flat tire um, oh, at like mile 40, no. which... Also, probably should have practiced changing flat tires on a bicycle more than I have. So that was taking me a bit of time to do. But um, support for athletes at these events, the Ironman does a really good job of having on-course support. And the bike technicians are allowed to help you manage any bicycle issue that you have because they expect you to be there to be the athlete, not be your own, like, Mechanic. you know, in charge of all your equipment, basically. I haul boxes so. as a question, Steph. Does the bicycle have a reciprocating engine? Yes, I haul boxes. It's called your feet. Your legs, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. They reciprocate. Um, so I had gotten the, like, gotten as far as like taking the, the tire off and uh, taking the tube out and was about to change that out. And um, the bike technician happened to come up because um, they had three of them out on the course. So one of them came up on me and said, would you like assistance with that? I said, it's going to be a lot faster if you change this than I do. Um, so it was still you know, time. And I ended up only um, completing the bike course with like seven minutes to spare on my cutoff. <laughs> I cut it really close. I almost didn't finish that. But my plan, well, I had also up to that point, I had been getting, um, I'd been stopping at every aid station because I planned to get off the bike, stretch my legs, not being a great cyclist. I didn't want to be sitting on the bike for hours and hours and never doing anything, you know, different to kind of counteract that. Um, and then I got to the, like, kind of the midway point aid station. I started doing the, the math as I was off the bike. And I went, I don't think I can do these stops anymore. Like, I'm not going to – I'm taking too much time just being off the bike. Um, so I actually did not stop after that point. I just kind of – What was the distance for cycling? 112 miles. Oh, my gosh. 
I was on the bike for eight, yeah, eight and a half hours. <laughs> I that's like that's when I do a hundred mile drive. I'm getting out. Go, oh, that's that's like I'm pretty sure I went to Alabama and came back. That's like a, that's more than a century ride. Yeah, it's more than a century. And that ride. century ride about killed me. Yeah, you got to put Iron Man oh, in your man. introduction. Gosh. <laughs> okay. Um, so I survived that, and I also, uh, man, at like mile ninety, I was coming up to one of the intersections and witnessed just a really terrible car crash. So I hope those people are okay. Um, someone ran the red light, um, and Oof. no, no cyclists involved, nothing like that. But oh, they boy. crashed into another car, and that was that was pretty. Oh, Fortunately, there were there were cops there helping direct traffic for the race, and it's like, well, if you're going to have a bad accident, might as well do it in front of a bunch of first responders. Mm. So. Um, so yeah, I hope they're okay. Um, it looked bad. So what time and of day did you finish the bike ride? Like, so I finished the bike ride. Um, time of day? Um, it was right around sunset. Okay. So I'm trying to think, but that was the day before the time change. So okay. that probably would have been like six fifteen p.m. or so. Right. So most of your running was in the dark. The all of my running was in the dark. Okay. Yeah. So I finished the bike. I think I might have been the slowest person on the bike to actually finish the bike course. Which I'll I'll carry wear that distinction proudly, <laughs> but then yeah, um, <laughs> you but go. then my run went my run went great. I got off the bike and I wasn't sure because I knew I was cutting it close on the time limit because you have ten hours and thirty minutes from the time you get in the water to be able to to complete get to the finish the of the bike course. No, oh, to, to complete the bike course. course. Okay, got it. So there's all these different intermediate cutoffs, but that's one of them. It's a total. It's a ten hour thirty minute, and that's an individual thing. So whatever time you get in the water. You know, that's when your clock starts right. and you have 10 hours and 30 minutes then to complete the swim and complete the bike. And I finished the bike at like 10 hours and 23 minutes or something. Wow. Like that. That's cutting it close. Did you feel like someone in a restaurant when the waiters are all uh, yeah. waiting for you to well, finish your here's, here's bottle the, of wine? Here's like the demoralizing thing. Like I was coming in to finish the bike and people were already done with the entire event. Like some of the very, oh. like the pros finished in like seven hours or something, and then they were oh. like the really fast like age groupers were all done. I was like, hi, I still have a marathon to run. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was pleased to find that there were still a lot of people out on the marathon course. Like I was not the you know I was not the um, I was not alone on the marathon course. So. Um, but I went through the transition there really fast because I wasn't sure if I had to be on the run course by 10 hours and 30 minutes or if just finishing the bike was sufficient. So I, I literally just like changed my shirt and put my shoes on and went out on the, the run course. Um, but I felt great for the run course. I was able to jog the whole thing. I intentionally walked all of those aid stations too. Um, again, on course support at a, an Ironman race is incredible. They have, they have an aid station basically every single mile with all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. You know, the standard water, Gatorade, you know, sports drink, but then also Red Bull, Coca-Cola. Uh, after dark, if you are on the course after dark, you get bone broth, warm bone broth, which was awesome. Oh, nice. Um, pretzels, chips, like Fig Newton type bars, all kinds of stuff. So I was able to fuel and hydrate quite well. And I averaged like 12 minute miles. With my, including my what little. What was the temperature wow. like at night cool. when you were running? Was it cold? Liz is asking if the temperature was cold at night. It was in the 60s. I don't think it was that okay. cold. All right. So not um, too chilly. It was the high that day was upper 70s, like when we were out on the bike course, and then right. it cooled down into the probably mid 60s Fahrenheit. Um, and then I, um, yeah, my marathon was like five hours and 22 minutes, which was actually a lot better than I had budgeted for. I planned on like a six-hour marathon. Um, again, just with the goal of finishing things and, um, 
total time was, now I can't remember what my total time was, 15 hours, 49 minutes or something like that. It says up there, 15, 49, 06. Wow. So there's a 17 hour total uh, time cutoff. So it was over an hour underneath my cutoff time. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And that was like an 1130 at night finish. (laughs) It was very late. So what were you like the next day? The next day I was fine. I actually, this was, wow. this was almost easier to recover from than like uh, a marathon that would actually be racing because I was out there for a long time, but it was all just kind of at a steady, even measured pace. There is a good question from our live audience uh, from iHall Boxes. Why do you keep doing this to yourself, Steph? And then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> his next comment is, and, and then of course, is a good question. Oh, sorry. I'm, well, I'll let you do it then. <laughs> he says, we're here to help. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine last night um, who she's she was my um, encore support down there, known her since childhood. She's done a couple of half Ironmans. And we were like, why do we do these endurance events? And um, neither one of us has a great answer other than we actually think we enjoy it. Um, it's it's, you know, it's fun. It's it's exciting. I to me, I like big races where there's a lot of participants and there's a lot of people on the course. Um, there's something nice about getting out there with, you know, your fellow humans and putting in work and encouraging other people to, you know, see what they're capable of doing and then doing it yourself. That's why. Still don't understand. But it's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm in awe. It's like why people awe. climb like huge mountains, you know, like Yeah, they can Everest. keep that though. I don't like the lead the yeah. possibility of falling like, off of mountains. That's mm, not Glad yeah. you didn't fall off your bike. No. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't fall off my bike too. That would have been bad. Um, I wasn't really worried about that for whatever reason. Amazing. So, are you going like, to do more of these uh, Ironman uh, comps? Yeah, I, I've used an electric bike next time. <laughs> an electric <laughs> bike, yeah. I'm pretty sure that is against the rules. Um, mm. I would oh, do really? another one. It's so I don't, green. I'm not in. I'm not in any hurry to do another one because if I'm going to do another one in the future, um, clearly then the goal is to do it better, which requires time and training and. Mm things, which I just really don't have um, right. that type of time right now. Well, you can say you've done, you can check that box. I, that was the I've, whole goal. It was to check yeah. that box and at least do it once. So yeah, it's indeed. Done. And well done. Yeah. yeah. You, you well cracked done. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anything else uh, you've been doing? You lazy been doing anything woman? else? Yeah, no. So there was, there was a show in there, I think where I was, I don't know what I was doing that week. I must've been, there must've been work stuff going on or something. Working, Cause I missed yeah. Yeah, I don't have it in my calendar, but I think there was something work happening the week um, afterwards. And then I, um, what was that weekend? I don't remember. I, th- um, I don't remember what happened the weekend after that either. Is that terrible? No. Um, no. I think I, I want to say that I flew that weekend, but. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, probable. Um I don't think there was a ton of flying. I think the weather was kind of terrible. I don't have any. Usually I'll have pictures from flying, but I don't see any. Um, oh, no, I did. It wasn't. Yeah, it was It was not a ton of flying because the weather wasn't great. So we got a few loads of jumpers up and that was about it. Um, and then last weekend, um, I spent a little bit of family time um, in Las Vegas. Um, but it was not... A trip that I planned, but the purpose of the trip was the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which I know Jeff and Nick and others would be 
uh, very interested in. Yeah, um, indeed. Yeah. Um, what were your impressions? So I don't really, I, I think we've talked about this before. I used to watch some NASCAR stuff, but never really big into motorsports, anything. Um, if it's on TV and I'm not doing anything else and I'd, I'd sit down and watch races. Um, but it was, it was very interesting. Um, so we had uh, seats in the grandstand um, right by the sphere. So I don't know, we didn't know what number of turns those were, but um, basically there was a 90 degree like right-hand turn. And then the course kind of curved back around the sphere and then out onto Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, so, you know, it was like, well, would it be more exciting if you were sitting over on uh, like the straightaway there where you see them going 212 miles an hour? I think you'd just see them like for half a second and it would yep. be still like, like <laughs> kind of oh, hear okay. them. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of nice to be in a slower section of the track. You could really see the cars going around. You could see like some um, uh, some strategy playing out and jockeying for position and things. And um, I don't know. I like I like things that go fast. So I, I enjoyed it. Um I thought the race was a lot of fun. I liked the format of it with all the practice sessions and qualifying. And um, there was a lot of uh, stuff in the news regarding this race just because it was the first one in Las Vegas. And obviously the first practice session didn't go real well. We were talking about that news um, item with the tarmac being ripped up by the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, airplane. It made me think of the uh, drain cover in the manhole cover in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, that could have gone really, really That could bad. have gone really poorly. Yeah. And I am 100% in, the, in agreement with um, Formula One with canceling um, the rest of that session, obviously, and then taking the time necessary to repair the track, and then also not allowing spectators at the second practice mm-hmm. session because, man, that thing could have gotten into that the crowds. It could have somebody. killed people. Yep. Yeah. Until you know for sure that everything's safe and managed, there's no reason to have you know, crowds of people outside, especially at two o'clock in the morning, local time. And yeah, that's just kind of a logistical and security and, and safety nightmare. They said it did more than a million dollars of damage. I heard almost, on that two, mil- almost, I heard almost $2 million almost of damage million, to the car. Wow. And then <laughs> I don't get this. Maybe F1 fans can, can explain this to me, but <laughs> so they make the repairs necessary to the car, but it's outside of their allotted or their allowance for yeah. what types of repairs they're able to make. So this poor guy has all this damage to his car, and then he has to take a 10-slot uh, grid penalty. Um. It's called strict <laughs> adherence to the rules, and I don't think the rules ever contemplated something like right. this happening. Yeah. And yeah. it was very unfair, but it was super they unfair. said, well, that we have to follow the rules. So I'm hoping that there will be some kind of a change to right allow back. an exclusion like mm-hmm. this in this case. That was horribly you know, I was I was one of the I, yeah, very I, follow, punitive. I, I follow Formula One and listen to a lot of podcasts and that kind of thing. And they were saying that they, they kind of wished, you know, the Missed, uh, Missed Apex um, podcast said they were kind of hoping that like all of the other drivers would say, well, then I'm going to put I'm on a new it. something or rather like. I'm going to like Spartacus, like, right. no, I'm Spartacus, you know, <laughs> like, I'm gonna, so that like, everybody takes a 10 grid penalty. So it could that, have been any one of them, you know, you know that that indeed, to and right. it, and it, it was not their fault. And it's no. not like the team uh, used up uh, one of their battery packs and mm-hmm. or wrecked it through an error. Um, so, you know, why penalize the team? It's not their fault. It's in fact, it's 
Formula One's fault because they're the ones responsible for ensuring the track's safe. safe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm going, oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, that, that was not good. That was not a great thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it did not start off very well. Didn't but start then, off well. As, but then the next night, yeah. so the next night was practice three and qualifying. And um, I don't, I watch, I enjoy watching qualifying, especially, you know, it's, it's fun to see the, the times evolve and the track evolve. And, um, mm-hmm. The drivers kind of figure out the course a little better. Okay. Um, from where we were sitting, the the one sharp turn, um, at least in the practice sessions and qualifying, it didn't happen at all during the race. But they kept like getting really close to that wall and bumping it with the um, that left uh, rear mm-hmm. tire a couple times. That's all that happened. So um, you definitely just tell that with a new course, they were kind of still just figuring it out a little bit up until the last second before the race. And I think everybody it. thought that this thing was going to be a huge dud. Yeah, especially after <laughs> yeah. like the incident in yes, the first yes. practice one or free practice one. But then the race itself, at least what I saw on television, was, was amazing. Great. It was an amazing, very exciting yeah. uh, action packed. There was a lot of yeah, action packed. Yeah. There was a lot going, going on. on. Yep. Yeah. Um it was fun to watch and I like the format of just the fifty laps because it actually you know, it's not like a four hour, six hour long drawn out event. It's like two hours and it's, you know, um, that's one of the things I really like about F1 compared to NASCAR NASCAR. is the fact that, you know, if, if the race is not finished after you started two hours ago, well then it's over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That's the sound Um, shock has a question still. Did I get to do anything else while I was there in Vegas? Um, I didn't really do much of any. I had a I had a facial at the spa at the hotel that I stayed at. It was very nice. Cool. Um, you have a hot dog. I've I've, <laughs> I've been to Vegas probably a dozen times, um, if not more. So, um, no, I was just there for for this event this time around. I didn't didn't do anything else. Um, like I said, there was family uh, family time as well. So, um, um. Uh, I was going to say something else about the race before that too, but no, I really enjoyed the race. I thought it was, it was a great event. Um, you know, even though we were seeing only a limited section of the track from where we were sitting, um, they did a really good job with the, um, audio visual stuff. So we had big screens in front of us so you could see the rest of the race unfolding and the commentary was great. And there's choice to listen to, um, actually choice of two different commentators. Cause we had the little, um, radios from American express, which was a couple of, um, uh, British commentators, and then there were uh, American commentators on the screen in front of us. So, so were these uh, tickets quite expensive? I have no idea. I didn't. Um, oh, you were just along for. I the... was just along for the ride on this. Right. Like I said I, okay. I actually didn't even know what the purpose of the trip was until like two weeks <laughs> beforehand. So, yeah. it was a bit of a surprise to me. Cool. Um, oh, which was cool. Yeah. Um, I heard that they were very expensive. I heard they were very expensive, and then. Um, Oh, I know what I was going to say, because you were saying they were thinking the race wasn't going to be a very big success. And they were thinking that in terms of like, man, maybe we didn't even sell all these tickets. And definitely the first couple of practice sessions and even qualifying were kind of very under attended. But I was like, you know, I think people are just going to show up for the the race on Saturday. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a huge, um, uh, even if the tickets were sold in like three day groupings or blocks, I don't think people are necessarily dying to go to every single session. They just want to go to the race and see the the main mm-hmm. event. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, Checo, I uh, forget his full name. What's his, um, uh, Perez. Perez. I feel like we were sitting in his um, 
fan sharing section sec- there, sharing section. But it makes perfect sense because I'm pretty sure they all probably came up from Mexico, like yeah. day of, day before. It's a North American driver, you know. North, yep, exactly. not too many of them. And the yep, and series. she had a lot of fans in the crowd, and they filled yeah. up the grandstands on Saturday. Cool. So, yeah, Sounds nice, great stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. This one. Captain Nick. Captain Nick. Yes, sir. Uh, well, there's uh, not a lot going on at the moment with me. Uh, I've got a few things coming up, but uh, I'll get through those quite quickly. I'm off tomorrow for a photo shoot. I got a request from one of my past clients who uh, now has new dogs and uh, wanted a set of pictures uh, for a Christmas present. So uh, I'm... I'm not giving the Christmas present. I think her husband's going to have to pay, pay for <laughs> them. So. Anyway, so I, I'm actually going to dive off uh, inside half an hour uh, because I need to get to bed. Uh, I've mm-hmm. got a dr- reasonable drive uh, first thing in the morning to get to that. Anyway, that's that. And then um, uh, bowling for uh, the county, Hampshire County, again on Sunday. And coming up n- the following week, uh, week today um, is a lovely dinner at Weybridge at the uh, Brooklands uh, Museum. Looking forward to that. And a couple of days after that, I'll be going up to London. Uh, and uh, we've got Jose in the chat room right now. He, I was chatting to him today. He's the gent our listener, has been a listener for quite a few years. Uh, and um, he works for the company uh, Curium, who they provide the radioactive element of uh, the material that goes into your body if you're going to be scanned, a CT scan or whatever, to make those bits that might otherwise be invisible clear and uh, easy to see. And uh, he was explaining some of the technical aspects uh, of uh, his industry, all very uh, fascinating for me, who knows very little about it. And some of the dangers, of course, they're dealing with radioactive material all the time. Uh, and um, he asked um, when we first got in touch that I speak at this dinner and uh, give a little bit of uh, information about our approach to uh, Threat and Error Management, TEM, which, of course, we have had in the airline industry since the 90s. Um, And uh, so I'm putting together a little uh, after-dinner speech, uh, trying to keep it lighthearted, and I won't crack a few jokes, I'm sure. Uh, And I think I'm going to cover the Osho defense. I don't know if you remember that plain tale, Jeff. Oh, yeah, I remember that also. Yeah, (laughs) so... uh, (laughs) I, I, I hope uh, I hope that goes down uh, pretty well. I can already we'll hear. Cover... <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know I where you're going with that. I keep wanting to say mispronounce that and say another different word than hospital. <laughs> but uh, I I must try. Oh, it depends how much we've all had to drink. I expect because uh, Jose <laughs> said it's uh, it's you know good food and lots of booze. And I'm taking the train, so all I've got to do is uh, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> stagger my way to uh, the. Is this going to be televised afterwards. or recorded in some way? I want to hear. I hope not. Oh, dang. <laughs> anyway. Jose, uh, make so sure that, you get a recording of it somehow, a bootleg, so you can <laughs> share it with us. He's very much looking forward to How, it. Now. And wait a minute. Um, oh, excellent. Thanks. Well, we, and, I haven't uh, even finished uh, writing it is, yet. So. Is it, uh, <laughs> it going to be mostly doctors there, Nick? Um, they uh, No, actually, they're, they're all chemists and uh, I was people say qualified for the doctors, in their field, you have to really but not. 
You really have to dumb it down if we're all doctors. So. <laughs> She's not here to hear your insult. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, well. that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, I wouldn't count your chickens, uh, Jose, because, uh, you know, you haven't heard it yet. Uh, so that's coming up next week. That'll be very nice. And then uh, I've got a Christmas dinner dance for a charity that wow. Julie and I go to the day social. after. So that's quite a busy week wow. next week when it comes to entertaining. And uh, I've also got a Vizsla on my lap now. Here Aww. she is. Uh, she's what getting is bored. Wants... Yes, come dog. on, you. Now, Nick, so... <laughs> what about this slide you put in here about your log, your logbook? Got a logbook uh, slide in there. Oh, okay. And, uh, uh, I forgot about that. Uh, pop it up then. Uh, this was just something that uh, arrived in the mail the other day. I've forgotten that I had um, sent off for it. And it's a chunk of uh, metal. And uh, what... Uh, um, Liz has put up is a picture of uh, this item. Now we we aircraft skin. We've I've got a, a few of those from bits of Airbuses that I've flown, but this goes back a lot further. So this is um, part of X-ray Tango nine oh seven. It's the registration of uh, a Phantom. Uh, an F4M, so that in the Royal Air Force was our FGR-2 fighter, ground attack and recce-capable uh, Phantom. And um, it was uh, on the conversion unit. So uh, I've got my logbook here, and I flew it uh, on December the 29th, uh, 1977, wow. with the amazing Roy Lawrence, uh, who was... Uh, a flying instructor on the Phantom. Now, he was the lovely chap that went off and shot down a Jaguar with oh, a live missile, yeah. which I have covered in a previous play uh -huh. tale. But at that point, he was completely innocent. It was This was going to happen in the future. Uh, anyway, I, f I flew with him, and he uh, cleared me off to go and do my first solo with a student navigator because I was a student pilot and uh, we had student navigators on the course and I've been teamed up with a lovely Brian Hinton, BK, uh, and uh, we went off together and uh, tried to pull the wings off this, <laughs> this phantom. Anyway, so I've got a bit of uh, X-Ray Tango 907, uh, which... Um, was a, a, a lovely. Yeah, you know, I I wrote off for it, or you know, paid for it quite a while ago. It took a while to get here, uh, mm. and uh, out of interest, uh, it's made in Ukraine. The company oh. uh, have uh, set up a, a place in Ukraine where they uh, cut these bits of aircraft skin up and uh, engrave them. So. Uh, I thought that's really nice that we're trying to do a little bit to help the Ukrainian economy, yeah. which must be in the doldrums right now. Do you want to just so anyway, that's all my news. Quickly talk and, about uh, the cover art. Yeah, let's talk about the cover uh, yeah, art from sure. uh, last show. Cover art. The uh, rambling road trip. <laughs> yeah. hmm. I we do had... like the uh, WKRP <laughs> reference. <laughs> yes. yes, indeed. We had a lot of suggestions, and I tried to squeeze a number of them in. So um, Steph has mentioned WKRP apparently was a radio station. Was it a fictitious yeah, story? It was, yeah. a, it fictitious... was a TV yeah. uh, television program. Comedy. Uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, the story of comedy the, program. The, 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 the turkey guessing. drop. The turkey I think. drop. I'll send you the, uh, the clip oh. of the turkey I think drop. I've seen it actually seen and it. I, I've certainly <laughs> I've heard the commentator he gets so distressed because this helicopter is throwing live turkeys out well, of 
the back of the helicopter and they're being stripped of their (laughs) feathers, I think, on the way down. And by the time they hit the the car park where they're all standing watching it or whatever, it's it's a naked bird. Anyway, you'll see this in in the the cover-up. I've done an attempt at representing this, uh, including a fully cooked turkey. Yeah, I don't know how they got cooked on the way down, but... Must be going very friction, fast. Friction. <laughs> yeah, friction. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I managed to put in uh, Jeff's uh, glasses, and if you look closely at those, you'll probably find the show number, and that's his diary oh. of his road trip. So uh, yeah. we had a few <laughs> words came up like yeah, I did not use that word. Uh, the and second thrunging. one. Yeah, I did and, not. And uh, someone someone came up with the suggested total planes are easy, words are hard. Jeff had consumed a. <laughs> Bottle and a half of wine. No, it on was the not quite show. that much. And <laughs> probably like seemed he was way. slurring his words. I have a few problems. I was not slurring. Actually, no, I, when no, I was no, editing, no, I was no, very, was very impressed. He was just a little bit uh, that I wasn't slurring my words, but I was uh, not thinking too clearly. That that's oh, for fair sure. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I, I will but I was not slurring. Was I, th- water today. I, I thought it was. I was. I'm a very and effective course, drunk. <laughs> <laughs> on <laughs> yes, a fully functioning alcoholic. Fully functioning alcoholic. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've stopped. By the way, after that day, I have not had anything to drink. <laughs> oh, well, it's very sensible. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that week <laughs> off will do a lot of good, I'm sure. Yeah, and of course, uh, on his road trip, uh, he nearly went round a corner and plowed into a lorry that had fallen. I over. love that. Yeah, and so uh, we've got the aftermath of, uh, of uh, the l- lorry crash <laughs> on, this, <laughs> yes. on this image. It actually is a very pretty image Hour if it hadn't yeah. been for all the things Beautiful. I yeah. stuck on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that's the artwork. Of, that's uh, all from me. Of, uh, great references to a lot of the um, aspects of the last episode, which was uh, now, quite Nick, interesting. Do you have to slip off now. Yeah, do you well, need to leave I, us? I would like, wouldn't mind taking this opportunity to disappear because okay. uh, if that's okay, because yeah, I need do. to get my please head down. Do. We're just going to go for Brilliant. a little bit longer. So yeah, uh, I got. I'm not going to make it much longer. To yeah. be honest, <laughs> we'll cover a couple okay. of fa- uh, feedback items and then uh, we'll be out of here as well. Yeah. Give these people right. a break. Well, Bye, I'll, I'll wish you all well and catch you next Thanks. week. Bye. All right. Cheers. Take care. Good night. And um, Jeff, what do you? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, this is going to be nice and easy because I really. Have not done much except uh, edit the last show and do my typical thing at my uh, church and uh, back in full force. And um, well, if you ever need some endurance sports uh, events to participate in, I could I could sign you up. I have no desire whatsoever to do anything (laughs) like that ever. Getting my through life. three hours of APG is endurance. Yeah, that's my endurance is, is uh, three is hours of APG, <laughs> and it's going to be less than that today. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, ben, well, uh, your, your Thanksgiving so tomorrow. Just to make sure that everybody uh, is is up to speed, um, I am uh, now in my first week of my five weeks of vacation Terminal leading vacation. up to my uh, my retirement date, which is my birthday, which is the day after Christmas. Um, and so, um, yeah, um, I'm never going to fly another air transport aircraft again in my life. Well, I don't think I will unless something unusual happens. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it was, uh, an awesome career and I hope to celebrate it with all my friends, uh, sometime next year. We'll, we'll think of something, maybe have some kind of a party somewhere and, uh, celebrate that. And, um, yeah, 
It's uh, the retirement so far has been very, very nice. I'm gonna, I'm going to really uh, adapt to it very, very quickly. Nice. And uh, my motor home, my future house on wheels. Uh, again, no update on that. It's still looking like sometime latter part of May uh, to get delivery on that. So, so about six weeks, six months it. away. Sorry. Yeah, about six yeah, lots months of time away. for planning for where you're going to go and what you're going to do yeah. and see and, and visit. I'm, and now's really probably wanna, the time to start planning all that stuff. I don't want to, you know? but I don't want to plan. I'm not a planner. planner. I'm not a planner at all. I don't want to plan. No, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Around. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm going to be more of a just. Um, uh, and what, what would they call it? Um, uh, sp- spawn spontaneous, spontaneous, no, uh, serendipitous, um, kind of traveler. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that be the right word? Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Like anyway. Um, so we'll Where see. Uh, I'll keep, I'll keep you all along, uh, take you all along with me when, whenever that happens. And I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, am I sad part. about the fact that my, 35 years of flying for uh, airlines is is coming to an end or is basically at an end. No, I'm very happy. It was a great career. And uh, I enjoyed every, well, not every minute of it, but most of the minutes. And um, I, um, it was a, a great accomplishment. And I'm happy to be finished with it and um, starting out in my, uh, the new tap new chapter of my life. Do you so. have to go Excellent. and turn stuff in at the office kind of thing? Uh, yeah, they're uh, like the, actually I'm using my uh, electronic flight bag, my EFB, my iPad right now. And sadly, I, I don't think it's going to be one of those kind of things where I can just give them a hundred or $200 uh-huh. and keep it. I think I have to turn it back in it's because they're, they're not retiring these things yet because they're still yeah. good. <laughs> so yeah. Darn. I'm th- I've been looking, I've been shopping around thinking, okay, do I want to n- have another screen like this? Maybe I need to buy a, my own little iPad uh, to, in addition. Um, but um, yeah, my, my ID and that yeah. sort of thing, uh, Liz. But other, other than the, yeah. um, the battery we get to keep. Yay. Oh. <laughs> um, so it's just the, uh, the iPad and I think my, my ID, I think, are really the only items that I have to... Uh, return. IHAL Boxes says you're going to be a digital nomad. A digital nomad, exactly. Uh, he yeah. knows the lingo. You're absolutely right, IHAL Boxes. I'm going to be a digital nomad. And A whole uh, bunch of other terms cropped up that I don't think they were appropriate. So No, I'm sure I'll be all those like, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's go yeah. All yeah. Fund yeah. and then a couple of feedbacks and then Steffi can... Okay. Let's do it. Uh, coffee fun. Oh, that's me. I have to hit the button where it says coffee fun. Okay, here we go. Dun, dun, bum, bum. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go bang. I'll take some. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I didn't worry about how I sounded singing um, on the show um, for the longest time until uh, my choir director uh, told me that she's starting to listen to the show. And now I'm thinking, oh, I hope I'm saying the words right and using the right vowels and consonants and breathing right. And so I'm sure I'm not. But uh, now I'm actually thinking about it, which is not a good thing. Um, Coffee Fund. The whole point of this uh, is your way to 
uh, support our show financially if you have the financial resources to do that. A couple different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, and that's a, basically a PayPal donation page that we have set up. And uh, nobody took advantage of that uh, since our last episode. But, but the other way to support us is to become patrons of the show via patreon.com and we have two new producers Jim, Jim was in the chat room Yay. Jim uh, was here with, uh, with us in the chat room maybe he's still here I don't know raise your hand Jim uh, Jim Fulton and Owen F I just noticed this morning that I uh, got a notification uh, that Owen has joined the uh, Coffee Fund Cadre. So welcome, and uh, thank you very much for your support, uh, Jim and Owen. And hey, if you, dear listener, feel like you want to uh, give some value for the value that we give you, uh, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee, and you'll be glad you did, and we will too. Captain. Incoming message. Okay, we're going to start off with some audio feedback, um, kind of aimed toward Dr. Steph. And this is from JJ Pittsburgh. Let's see what he has to say. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh. So, you know, I, I think of the airline pilot guy as a radio show, even though it's a podcast. I think of it kind of as a radio show. And in your own unique way, you take callers by having us submit feedback. So I, being that I think of it as a radio show, I'd like to call in and make a request. Um, and, and with that, my phone beeped. So, <laughs> so anyway, that was a request. Right? I would yeah. like to request that Steph, Doctor Steph, runs the um, Pittsburgh Marathon. And that way we could have a big old meetup, cheer Steph on. I'd, I'd love to see her run in the race in person. And also um, we could have a, a meetup after, you know. I, I don't know if if you've run the race before, Dr. Steph, but I, from what I, you know, following your running career, I don't think you've mentioned it, so I don't believe you have. That would be super cool. Um, so I was in that mindset because um, I was doing a mini gig with my buddy Tom. They have uh, bands play at the races, and there was a 10-miler today, and we performed at it, and uh, they may be for, his full band may be performing at the Pittsburgh Marathon. So I thought about that, and I thought about Dr. Steph, and I thought that would be cool. So that's all I have is just that request, and hope all is well with everyone. Peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love. I always love it when he ends like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what do you think, Steph? I know we've we've had a big uh, meetup in Pittsburgh in the past in uh, 2017, but it didn't involve much running. I, in no. fact, I don't think I ever ran the entire time I was there, and you probably didn't do much running I either, did you? I didn't run that weekend, no. no. I recall being at, um, doing a lot of um, meetups involving food and beverages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, That's that what I'm getting. Yeah, that was yeah. Podcasting. Uh, and podcasting <laughs> and airplanes, class. lots of airplanes. Eater um, and drinker. That's good. Um, yeah, I like the request. Um, so my uh, current thoughts. Historically, I've done kind of the same marathons over and over and over again, um, and again, uh, kind of going back to 
I enjoy the the really big city marathons like the World Marathon Majors and um, there's a whole series of those and I'm actually finishing up that series hopefully for the second time um, in March of next year. So, but once I do that, I've kind of decided I don't need to keep going back to those same big marathons. They've become kind of a thing with a group of friends of mine who do the same ones every year and it's a kind of a meetup uh, for, for us of sorts. Um, but a few of us have even decided, you know, we kind of want to do go different places, just see different things and and go different parts of the country, different parts of the world, um, maybe some stuff off the beaten path. Not that Pittsburgh's off the beaten path, but um, yeah, see some different cities, see some different people. And um, yeah, we could certainly maybe plan meetups around those those events in the future going forward. So um, I don't know if it'll happen next year, but I'm going to put it on the list of, of marathons to, to look at. And yeah. Great, great. I will not, not exclude it. Well, speaking of marathons and off the beaten track, um, we have some more audio feedback. For, by the way, thank you, JJ, for sending that in. And I'm mm-hmm. glad we got a chance to play it while Steph's here. And uh, we, we also received some feedback kind of in this similar vein. Hey, BG crew, this is Paul talking to you from Seat One Lima on a Boeing 777-200 getting ready to land here shortly at EWR somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean currently I just wanted to uh, give a little non-aviation related uh, news item here from Dubai and I figured Dr. Steph would appreciate this since she loves to run. Hunters take place at Nikhil Palm Run. This is one of those palm islands that was built off the coast of Dubai and you can see it from space. It's, uh, they had a distances of 21K, 10K, and a 1K for kids. They basically enjoyed a stunning view of Palm Jumeirah with the racing route covering the crescent, the semi-circular road which forms the outer edge of Palm Jumeirah as well as the running track in Al Etihad Park which is at the center of the Palm's trunk. I had a chance to be on that palm earlier Sunday and uh, it was quite an impressive feat to build this island and then I got a chance to go to the palm view which is a huge building it had to be at least 50 stories high in the air it's got a mall underneath and you can go up to the sky deck and view the palm and uh, that's all I have. So, Dr. Steph, I don't know if you like to run in these high 90s temperatures, but if you do, Dubai's a great place to come and check out. All right, everybody. Talk to you later. All right, next year, Pittsburgh and Dubai. <laughs> Yeah, upper 90s for uh, or mid 90s for running sounds uh, maybe not like my ideal mm. race scenario, but no. um, 
I'd like to go to Dubai just to see Dubai. That would be interesting. But not run. Probably not. Island. I probably would skip the. Um, I can do the one kilometer kids race. That sounds great. I can yeah, do that in ninety degrees. I might even be able to do that. <laughs> May, well, yeah, that'd sure be pushing it. <laughs> um, you know, in an earlier episode, you talked about uh, one of your skydiving exploits um, mm-hmm. involving uh, Mr. Potato Head. Oh, and sure, yeah. uh, Paul um, sent in just another little short piece of audio feedback from Paul. Hi, everybody. This is for Captain Jeff and Dr. Stuff. This is a, something different I'd like to try called Paul's Crazy Thoughts. Okay, instead of Mr. Potato Head skydiving, how about Jenga skydiving? I don't know this how this would work. Paul's crazy thoughts. Yeah, well, Paul, uh, honestly, m- most of your thoughts are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just crazier than normal. This, yeah. this, uh, I, I, I think, would not pan out. You'd have the a very tall tower of Jenga there. You'd also have to have a very steady base to hold on to the bottom of it, because otherwise, all of the bricks are just going to fall off the bottom before you can like aerodynamics take them out and replace them. Be an yeah. Issue. I think, I think it would, I, I think it was, it'll just end up being a bunch of <laughs> bricks floating around with you and then becoming yeah. projectiles It'll still be fun, uh, to the ground. Could be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe more fun to play it um, in the plane on the way up, especially yeah. on bumpy days. Yeah. There's not that enough room though, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, thanks for that, Paul. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for that crazy thought. Keep keep brainstorming that <laughs> one. I don't I don't know if that one's gonna. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. You know, maybe right. maybe one of these crazy thoughts will actually you know yeah. work out somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Steffi, have anyway. you got to go off and. Uh... Yeah, do you have to leave, I'm, Steph? I'm okay for, can you hang okay around for, a little bit longer? I can hang out for a little bit longer. Okay, maybe maybe like two more. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, we have a lot of uh, pieces of feedback here that kind of are follow ups yeah. from uh, yeah. what do they what do they call it at OB uh, timely feedback or something? I don't know. Um, but uh, they they kind of um, deal with some things that we have talked about in the past. Uh, one, for instance, let's say from uh, this one from Mark uh, number three, um, not really an excuse, but something that may make... Okay, so we were, uh, this is in, in regard to the episode of the pilot who um, kind of went a little bit nuts in, in the jump seat on a uh, Alaska air flight. I uh, know, yeah, a, a, a horizon, horizon flight. He was an Alaska pilot. Uh, he was an pilot. Alaska pilot. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he you know pulled, tried, attempted to pull the uh, fire handles and and all that. And yeah, at one point in his um, interview and his excuse was that he had tried microdosed um, uh, magic mushrooms uh, about 48 hours beforehand. And uh, so that's what this is in reference to. Uh, Mark says, not really an excuse, but something that may make his behavior more explainable. Uh, this pilot had apparently been suffering with depression for a while, but didn't seem to get any help due to fear of loss of medical. Possibly this pilot had heard of the huge progression of psychedelics in the treatment of depression. In a Quote, I'll try anything to help relieve the symptoms mode, he decided to try the mushrooms. Now, this treatment is experimental, also involves microdosing or supervised use. 
possibly this pilot didn't get that far in his research. No excuse for him, but maybe there is a slight rationale behind his mushroom use. Fear of loss of medical. Love the show, even though I'm not a pilot, just an enthusiast. Mark Del Monte. Uh, thank you, Mark. And uh, I think, uh, as I've mentioned in the last show, probably you know ma- um, the majority of the people that listen to the show are enthusiasts and, and not pilots. So you're you're uh, amongst a bunch of great people. Um, what do you think, Steph? I mean, as you said, it's not really an excuse, but maybe kind of well, explains. But it's not an excuse. And I think when you know, if you're, and, and I I am not speaking to this pilot specifically, but um, just kind of um, either other cases I'm familiar with or general thoughts on this, um, for folks who are really suffering, right. And having, um, the mental health issue in this case, possibly depression. Um, and especially for those who also happen to be pilots. Yes. If it's, we've talked about this a lot on the show before. Um, about access to treatment and then fear of loss of medical if you are diagnosed with a condition that's potentially disqualifying or you end up on a medication that's disqualifying in some way, the hoops that sometimes you have to go through to seek treatment, to complete treatment, to reinstate a medical. Um, You know, it's, it's, if you're already dealing with depression or a mental health issue, also being faced with not having your job, your income, your livelihood, your identity, um, all of those things are, are huge, you know, and I can, I can certainly see where this might drive someone to seek alternative forms of treatment or do things outside of the, um, scope of standard, standard practices of medical care. Um, and like you said, it's not an excuse on these things and these things are not, um, part of the standard, standards of care for treatment of these disorders, although there is emerging use and evidence and it's out there. And I've listened to other podcasts where people talk about their experiences with like psilocybin or the microdosing of these different types of mushrooms and the, you know, huge breakthroughs they've had. But you have to remember those are all like, those are all just individual cases of people and their own personal experiences. It's not based on a, it's not based on a body of evidence or research that we have for it at this point in, in a lot of cases. Um, and if you're doing it outside of guided care, it's hard to know what your reaction is going to be to that. Um, and I can see where that could lead to something like this happening, you know, it can, and, and it did. So not yeah. an excuse for him, but yep, good point. And, you know, we've certainly discussed the issues surrounding medical certification of pilots and, um, and appropriate care and treatment pathways and maintaining medicals in those situations yeah. and the challenges. Very good. Thank you, doctor. Kyle, um, and then wrap it up. Kyle. Let's, um, you know, at least Kyle, maybe another, um, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we'll try to get, the, go through these as quickly as we can. Kyle, uh, set in additional information regarding the damage to the aircraft, um, windows from lights. So you'll recall the, uh, the Titan um, Airlines um, charter airline, I believe, in the UK, and they did some kind of a photo shoot with these lighting, the lights, and the lights ended up um, melting some of the some of the seals around the uh, uh, the windows on the uh, left and right side of the aircraft. Mostly the left side, they actually lost um, 
two uh, window panes and we're about to lose a third. Um, anyway, he, um, I, I guess this is from him. Uh, I'm not or sure. Or somebody, someone messaged him maybe. I'm not somebody sure. messaged him or somebody. It looks like it's from what? Facebook? Does this look like? Uh, I, don't, I can't I'm tell. Not sure. uh, some one of the social medias, social medias. Um, this person writes, 35 years ago, I'm not kidding, an L.A. gaffer made us line up Mities, M-I-T-E-Y-S. I've never heard of a Mighty. It must be some kind of a high-powered light. Uh, scaffolding all the way down both sides of the plane. I was not on that crew. They melted two windows. Gaffer didn't show up for work. Oh, the gaffer didn't show up for work that next day. Best boy became the gaffer. They called me in to be the best boy. Plane was out of service for days. 35 years later, it happens. Delta will not allow you to point a hot light at a plane. That's been the case for years. Only LED. I mean, this person must know something about Delta Airlines and their policies regarding this kind of thing. Uh, Titan has learned about it. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and looks like it's not the first time the that this has way. happened in history. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Kyle. That was great. Um, Let's see. How about um, the feedback from the audio feedback from Chris, yeah, the hippie, that hippie pilot, pilot. that yeah. hippie pilot? Like yeah. Okay. We'll end Good it with stuff. his. Um, so uh, we had talked about the um, the Vans um, RV, the uh, the the kit manufacturer, uh, like one of the most popular kit manufacturer aircraft kit manufacturers in the world, I believe. Um, and uh, he writes us and says, "Hey, crew." I'm currently building a Vans RV8, and I'm among the many builders in the throes of current laser cut parts uh, debacle. My audio feedback provides an insider's look at the situation and a small correction to the information that Nick C. shared. Uh, and then he gave us a link to all the uh, published relevant information from Vans. And uh, he said, also, if any listeners are interested in following his build, I publish one video for every build day. My channel can be found here, and his channel name is That Hippie Pilot. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. But here's his audio feedback, and you can tell this person has done audio slash audio video in the past based on his audio feedback. Hello, APG crew. Um, let's see, we've got uh, soon-to-be-retired captain, retired captain. We've got a current captain. I know we have a doctor in the room. We've got an engineer. Uh, the Skipper, Gilligan, the Professor Mary. I think that I've got all my bases covered there. My name is Chris. Um, I am a longtime listener, a first-time feedbacker, and a some form of uh, Patreon supporter. So I really do appreciate uh, the work that you folks do here. Um, and then also, I guess, relevant to this feedback... Um, I am a Vans RV8 builder, and if anybody's interested in kind of seeing how that's going right now, um, my YouTube channel is That Hippie Pilot. So, episode 593, Nick Camacho, I thought, did a really great job talking about Vans' uh, recently announced um, financial crisis that they're going through and some of the causes for it. I did want to make a slight amendment. Uh, I think uh, Nick said that... Um, this was a part of this was related to laser cut skins. Um, it's actually not the skins that are affected. Um, it is uh, spars and ribs and other similar um, sub assemblies that have had this problem. And another question in there, Captain Nick was asking what, if any kind of R and D 
vans did on this. And uh, yeah, these were, in, at the outset, these were good, viable products. Um, when the explosion, I know you guys don't like to use that word with respect to airplanes, but when the explosion in demand for these kits occurred and uh, everybody was kind of scrambling in the supply chain crisis, Vans um, hired some outside vendors to do some of these parts using a laser cut process, which is a proven process. Um, but after some time, um, one or maybe more than one of the vendors decided to deviate from a very critical um, cut path for the for the rivet holes. So Vans prescribed cut path was a so-called pretzel cut where the laser would begin and end in the center of the rivet hole. And uh, at some point, they started just cutting round holes, like maybe because they thought it was quicker. Um, but that also meant that the laser was coming in contact with the edge of that hole twice and creating misshapen holes with hot spots. It has affected builders of different kits differently. I'm building an RV-8. My kit requires that I final size drill every single hole on the entire airplane. And uh, the parts that I received that did have uh, sort of defective or imperfect rivet holes, uh, once I final size drilled them, and it's only a few thousandths of an inch, but once they were final size drilled, they were clean on my aircraft. Other kits, um, the RV-14, for example, those kits arrived already final size, and so it leaves those builders with very little room to uh, to correct those defects. Uh, and I have seen some that are just really bad that are just beyond repair. Now, after all of that has sort of come to light, um, Vans and also a third-party engineering firm separately did an analysis um, and I'll put a link to those reports in my feedback here. But the long and the short of it is what they found was that even worst case scenario, these assemblies are still lasting several thousand hours longer than the um, expected useful life of the aircraft, although still shorter than um, parts that are not defective. So the latest update is that a few days ago, the FAA sent a letter out to their inspectors telling them that Vans RV aircraft that contain Laser cut parts from the, quote, recommended replace list are um, okay to continue to certify. So um, the FAA's opinion is that um, even those worst defective parts, um, the, the threat that they pose is still detectable well within a normal inspection cycle. So um, that's the deal on that as it stands right now. Obviously, it's a dynamic situation and, and things will continue to change over time. And who knows, by the time my plane is ready to go up in the air, I might decide that I need to rebuild my empennage after all. Uh, regarding the financial crisis, uh, Nick did a great job on that. Um, it is a cash crisis. It's not an economic crisis. Vans is still the market leader in a market with high demand and that means that it's still a valuable asset to somebody who knows how to run it and uh, has the the deep pockets to fix their current problems. So they're not going anywhere. And uh, I'll be here in my garage trying to build something that will either fly me upside down at 200 miles an hour or just be a really weird looking canoe in my <laughs> front yard. So thanks for all that you do. And uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Man, what's that weird canoe in that dude's <laughs> yard? You seen the, seen my neighbor's house? There's some weird canoe. And it's, yeah. <laughs> so again, that's that hippie pilot, uh, his YouTube channel. I love his uh, tagline. 
don't let gravity keep you down, man. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. 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 Love it. Love it. Great feedback. <laughs> Thanks for that great feedback, um, Chris. Uh, you know, firsthand and, um, you know, making an airplane. I mean, that's just awesome stuff. So, I, I'm uh, going to go check out the YouTube channel because, you know, I don't know the first thing about putting together a home-built aircraft. Uh, it sounds scary to me, like, yeah. to build my own airplane or any well, vehicle in, that would transport me. Chat room. Hey, there. There he is. Oh, nice. Um, He's in our Chris. live audience. Yeah. So, but that kind of thing pilot. would certainly fascinate me just to see what that process looks like to be building your airplane in your garage. Because yeah, I don't know. Great. Yeah, I need to check it out as well. And uh, yeah, if we have any questions about home builds in the future, we we have some, and we have a resource. We have an, ex we have an expert now. Yeah, an expert. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. So, Jeff, you thanks, just have Mom. something you want to cover. Yeah, I do, uh, Liz. Thanks. Um, I meant to mention in the getting to know us segment, I should have learned my lesson from last week uh, when I put notes in or something in the getting to know us note uh, to remind me of what to say. Uh, I should probably look at said note, mm. uh, but that's just not been my practice. <laughs> and it's gotten me in a, into I trouble. Um, but, uh, Liz, our producer was, uh, she took a glance at the, uh, notes and the getting to know us, uh, note and, uh, realized that there was something there that I was going to announce because, you know, getting to know us is not just getting to know us as the APG crew, uh, but also the community that yeah, is like surrounding pilot. this, just like, yeah, that hippie pilot. And, um, so uh, received some. We received some audio feedback, uh, having to do with our APG community members, or some of them, a couple of them, and um, yeah. Let me just play it. Hello, APG crew. It's Tarek Maryface here. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm just here in Farnham near Farnborough, just finishing some ground recurrent training at Safe Jets, and I'm here with someone else because we just had dinner at the Giggling Squid to uh, celebrate something very special. Oh, hello, OVG. It is Eva from, I don't know which one it was. Um, yeah, here with Tarek. I've been chewing his ear off all evening about various aspects of his work and uh, aviation in general. It's been really nice. Hope you're all well. And uh, why why are we celebrating? Oh, yeah, because I got my PPL. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I just yeah. got my PPL. <laughs> yeah, it's a lo long time to get done, but it was really good. And I didn't get too much of a dressing down for my examiner afterwards, which was nice. <laughs> She's very modest. I'm sure she did really, really well. So that's it. We just wanted to say hi to everybody and to say congratulations to Eva for passing her PPL. Woo! <laughs> Take care, guys. Bye. Bye, bye. All right. Yay. Congratulations, Eva. Eva. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. All right. And uh, as we mentioned, um, uh, I think in the last episode, because Eva was in the uh, live audience. And she was in there. She was here earlier today, too. Oh, she was here as well. Okay, today. And she was the one that uh, was nice enough to uh, give Captain Nick and I a ride back over to uh, his place From in Bliss after... Pub. Yeah, after we had our time and at the Beaufort Pub. She is here. Yeah, so. she is. Congratulations, oh, awesome. Eva. Yeah, she is. That's yeah, amazing. Congratulations. Well done. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, so Tarek said, and is um, uh, associated with his feedback here, Eva and I managed to do a mini meetup in Farnham while he was doing his ground recurrent training at Farnborough. 
Uh, he says, think usual CRM and safety presentations followed by doing CPR on a dummy after pointing at someone in the room and dramatically shouting, you call 999. Tell me what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there was some excellent news to share. And it certainly was, Tarek. Uh, so congrats, Eva, on the, uh, on the accomplishment. Uh, that's uh, quite a milestone. One of many, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And All right. onward from there. Yep. Another thing that I forgot to mention uh, in the Getting to Know Us segment, and I didn't even write this down, but I thought of it after the fact, um, Thanksgiving here in the U.S. is being celebrated tomorrow. And I uh, just wanted to mention that a very, very good friend of mine, he and his wife, um, Greg and Jennifer, and you may know Greg, uh, you'll, well, you know, you don't. You, you probably don't know that you know Greg, but Greg Willits is a voiceover artist amongst many, many other things. He's a very talented man. And uh, I got started uh, in podcasting, actually, uh, with him in the very early days, uh, back in 2005, 2006. And uh, so I've, I've known Greg for quite some time, Greg and Jennifer. They invited me over to their place up in Cumming, Georgia, just a little bit north of here, for Thanksgiving tomorrow. So it's been, I think, I don't know, it's been at least probably 10 years since I've seen them in person. And uh, so that's going to be a a great uh, Thanksgiving celebration. So I'm looking forward to that. And then also uh, on the last episode, um, Tim Qualls, Tim Q, got us all started off with being thankful for uh, many things, especially the people that um, are important in our lives. And it was a very poignant and very uh, thoughtful piece of feedback. Thank you, Tim, for that. Um, And since you got it started, I'd like just to mention that, you know, we always refer to the APG crew here. And of course, um, it's generally um, understood that when I say APG crew or we say say APG crew, we're talking about the uh, co-hosts of the show, myself, Dr. Steph, uh, Captain Rick, Captain Nick, and Nick Camacho, and producer Liz. That's the kind of the core APG crew. But really... The APG crew encompasses uh, many more folks um, that are uh, tied into this whole endeavor. Um, of course, everybody hears usually on every episode, Radio Roger. He is our uh, uh, official APG announcer. He's also a professional uh, broadcaster and announcer himself. Um, Jim Mercado, uh, our uh, APG logo and a lot of our um, brand uh, stuff. Uh, is from from his creative genius, and he is uh, what we call, like to call our brand ambassador, our brand manager. Uh, so thank you, Jim. Um, Arash Mahin, uh, he is our webmaster and keeps the uh, the website running. So thank you, Arash. Uh, by the way, um, Radio Roger, he's up in New York area. Jim Mercado, he is out on the uh, West Coast uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Arash is in uh, Ontario. Oh my um, God! Another one. Yeah, not too far from uh, <laughs> not too far from Liz. He's in um, what? What is it called? Ottawa. Um, Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the capital, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Nation's capital. Nation, national capital. Uh, Tiffany. Uh, we don't talk about her too often. Uh, we have um, the APG library on our website. She is our AB, APG librarian. She's a real library, a legal librarian, and a teacher, a, a university teacher as well. Tiffany, uh, she's awesome. 
and uh, I miss seeing her. Uh, it's been a while since I've had a buffalo layover. She's in that part of our country. And then, of course, the guy that you hear um, every episode who likes to hang out in bathrooms, you know, somewhere where I am, Hillel, uh, who is our Slack custodian, I guess you could call mm-hmm. him. He's manages, he created. And, and by the way, uh, you know, I feel bad because um, I hardly ever go on Slack. Actually, as I mentioned on the last episode, I hardly ever go on any of the social medias because I can't stand it, actually. <laughs> I really don't. I, I just don't like it there. But um, I did make a visit to Slack uh, earlier today, and uh, there's still stuff going on there, and I promise I'm going to try to be better about being there and interacting with you all. So uh, if you're, uh, well, if you are interested in joining our Slack team, uh, Hillel will We'll tell you all about that uh, in just um, a couple of minutes here. But that's just what I wanted to say. I wanted to th- say I'm very, very thankful for all of you who are listening to the show. My, uh, you know, very close friends who are part of the crew, uh, and that's all the entire crew, even the extended crew. Uh, love you guys. Love you all who are listening. And you know, honestly, even if you're just a first time listener, you know, you're part of our crew. So. I just wanted to say that. So happy Can Thanksgiving, everybody. Even if you don't celebrate it to where you are. All right. Ditto. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, and so with that, uh, I mentioned the uh, website. And we also are on the social media. Social media uh, we with, are. Yeah. Social media. Um, yeah, I haven't been there very much myself recently, but perhaps I shall have to revisit things. We can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, we're on uh, the platform previously known as Twitter, now X, Twixter, whatever you want to um, call it, I suppose. We are at APG Crew with our individual uh, handles pinned to the top of that page. And then you can also find us on Instagram, also APG Crew and Captain Nick's weekly show artwork is featured prominently there. Um, Captain Jeff already mentioned Hillel, so I'm going to assume that he's there with you at this time and can give us those details about Slack. Can you tell us about Slack? I got it under the Every under the time. wire there. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's always dripping wet. Uh, come on over here. I'm going to make room for him to tell you all about our Slack group. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Yeah, I'm on it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) always uh, enjoy hearing from Hillel and uh, also I always enjoy hearing uh, that lovely voice in my ear uh, in the control room while we're doing the show come on in Liz here I am oh there you are I'm sorry I'm not I have very limited space for windows that's okay see you down there Um, thank you so much for all the work that you do uh, before after and during the show you're you're welcome uh, I couldn't do it without you so thank you so much you're and welcome. Um, 
Thanks, Steph. Great I'm glad that you were able yeah. to make glad. it here on today's show. Definitely. And I uh, know you're awfully busy and will continue to be so, I'm sure, for the, for the in the near future. But uh, it's great seeing you. And great seeing all of our wonderful people in our live audience, our, our chat room. Um, it's uh, just so nice. Every every week we get to see the, well, I say the, see the same faces. We really don't see their faces, but we see that they're there. We know. We, we have a dedicated, Very loyal, dedicated. hardcore. Hardcore, yes. yeah. Fan and, base in the live chat. Um, what yeah. else? I guess. That's, gonna, that's about it. Going to be it for us today. Got a nice short show for you so you can get on with being with your families. <laughs> I know that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, I hope it's it's not too painful for you. And uh, again, uh, we uh, give thanks for having you all there listening to our show. And we love you. And we hope to see you again on next week's show. Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next time. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly